Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. Okay, so I have a couple parents joining me today talking about um, the different options for um, long-term living. Like, um, in other words, um, some families choose to keep their loved ones home um, in the home um, for as long as possible, while other uh, families use um, different um, programs for adult-supported living. So I actually want to start with you, Rachel, because you have a lot of, um, you're bringing a lot of diverse um knowledge to the table today because not only are you a parent of, of, of two kiddos that are on the autism spectrum, but you have spent a lot of your professional career um, working with individuals in adult um, living environments, right? So yes. that, yeah. Okay. So why don't you explain to us a little bit about what your experience has been and um and if you want to kind of give us that pros and cons, because I think I know myself in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have Caleb at home with me forever because that's, you know, we're family and that's what we do. And yet more and more, um, I hear, um, and have met a lot of amazing families out there that have shared, um, experiences of having to let go and once they were finally able to let go and then they were living in um, different environments different um, you know supported living environments that they've absolutely blossomed and that's not to say that there haven't been little hiccups along the road because there are Um, just like anything you have to find the right fit but it really then kind of opened my eyes to this whole idea of you know am I potentially limiting some of um, Caleb's life experiences? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, it's just better to live with me, clearly, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm interested to kind of hear what your perspective is. Yes, of course. Um, Well, I I work in in vocational rehab and independent living and um, supported living. So um, in the past, I have seen just people just thrive and go, I mean, go out and beyond what their parents ever thought they could do, which was harder for, I think, the parents. Yes, I totally and agree. They, and I, I mean, I remember I would work with caretakers and parents, and, and they would be constantly checking, you know, and, and giving me lists, and, and it's like, hey, you know, but, but your child really wants to do this and wants to do that, and they're developing a life of their own. Yeah, and preferences. They're Absolutely. expressing their own personal preferences. Right, and I mean, independence is, is the goal. And and for some, I don't know, I don't know that many people who don't want to move out of their parents' house. I know, I, yes. You know, and I remember um, my children's father and then their stepfather now, they both, every time I talk to them, they say, well, no. Gabriel's just going to live with us forever. And I say, that is not fair to him. Why would you do that to yeah. him? Mainly, I mean, who wants to live with his crazy mom? Ah, 
<laughs> well, that's what my neurotypical son points out. Mom, I have to tell you, I don't think it's a great idea for Caleb to live with you because, like, well, it's like you're his mom. At the end of the day, how cool is it to live with your mom your whole life? And I'm like, thank you, child, for pointing out to me that I'm lame. But, you know, it takes an outsider sometimes to even see that. Even the siblings are just saying, oh, he's not going to live here the rest of his life with you because, you know, like, that would be super lame. Um, so in your opinion, then what creates like a, um, like how would you parents usually finally get to the place where they're willing to then consider, um, other living arrangements? Well, I think, I think that's, it's just, it's about knowledge of the supports and, um, the su- supports in our community and, um, just different programs available because there's a lot of different options Mm -hmm. so in two I mean I used to do independent living evaluations which looks at all the major parts of life so all the way from from um, safety to to um, education to even birth control I mean in medical everything in between do they know where the smoke alarms are I mean should they just have a microwave do they need just a personal care attendant and get an apartment, get a personal care attendant who can be there 24 hours, seven days a week, or just come in and check during this routine. Yeah. Or come in and make sure they're taking their meds, mm-hmm. schedule appointments, make sure they're stocking their fridge. I mean, it really... Because There's all right. forms and all levels of support. Yeah. And, and two, I mean, I think one of the... the I'm, I am pro-independence. Yeah. So, um, but I think... One of um, the cons to that is is um, just that the whole part of letting go of your child, yeah. and and when they are ready to do that, um, they'll find that one of the the mo- the biggest cons of keeping your child at home is it does ruin relationships within the family, and I've seen that over time and time again, and two not allowing your child to, to become who they were meant to be. So in other words, parents become a barrier then. Absolutely. Yeah. And even though, and I guess that's the biggest thing that has been an eye opener for me is, is that this has been really a constant theme that's coming up, um, is, is that sometimes we love these people so much. Mm -hmm. We do actually, um, despite our best efforts in thinking that we're doing what's right and what's best Mm -hmm. do actually limit um, some of their opportunities and even living independently and while be it, it's not mm-hmm. truly independent. Um, it's independent with supports and as much as they can be. Yeah. And, and just like as a child, you push them a little bit more each time. It's like, it, it may be a little bit harder than the typical child, but, but you want them to have all the things that they, they need sure. to be successful in life. And so in your experience, um, have you seen um, independent living being always the right fit for every single person that you've ever worked with over your career? Well, uh, maybe um, no, I have not. Okay, and, okay, because I want we yeah, want to make sure that we're right. being real here, yeah, right? So, absolutely. in those instances where it was not the right fit, like what were some of the contributing factors that really it didn't end up? Was it just the need was too much um, to support that individual living independently? Or like, what are some of the, what, how does that play out usually? Well, I did um, in, um, before I, I had the, the social work firm where I did 
more of the independent living evaluations. Um, in the early 90s, I um, worked for a supported living um, company, and they had, um, oh, probably 50 sites here in, in Spokane. And um, I just remember there, the staff wasn't always trained very well, um, and in fact, I ended up leaving because I felt that there were that they were doing a very good job of background checks, okay. and that um, there there were safety risks mm -hmm. that some of the staff was were violating. That I, I you didn't not, want anything. I couldn't be a part of it. So yeah, I called the the um, I I called it in and take to adult protective services and. And I met with the attorney general. I, I did, you know, uh, um, ombudsman, and um, I mean, I never went back to yeah. that agency. And and I continued to support several of the people that I worked with because they didn't have guardians. Sure. And I became their guardian mm -hmm. for about five years after until I could, could transfer them to a, a guardianship company that mm -hmm. I, I trusted. Gotcha. So is it really then the instances where independent living, it does not end up working out? It's more what I'm hearing from you is it's not the person's ability to live as independently as possible with supports in place. It's really not every agency mm -hmm. is equal right. um, because right. with the right supports, anyone mm -hmm. can live independently as much as they're able to with the right supports in place. It's really more of a screening the different agencies to make sure that they have the proper training, um, that they're following um, all the regulations that they're required by law to be following. Um, so really, in the instances where it didn't work out, it was more of a, um, a facility not in compliance, right. correct? Well, Correct. And and also, you know, autism is a spectrum sure. disorder, just like, like most disabilities. And um, I think what works well for one person doesn't work well for another. Absolutely. And we talked about this early on. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is, is that, you know, there is a lot of um, negative press, I would say, about institutionalized living. And Lakeland um, here in our area um, gets... Uh, I, I would say a lot of um, bad press, but yet time and time and time again, when I have the um, pleasure of meeting different individuals who have family members that are residents out at Lakeland, they absolutely love the care um, and the facility, um, the facility and the care that they get at Lakeland um, and cannot speak um, you know, more highly of the organization, um, while be it quote unquote an institution, um, they can't, they, there's no other place that they would want their loved one to be because while be it, it's very controlled. Um, and you know, and there are some restrictions there. That's what those, the controlled environment and those restrictions is what help those individuals thrive and be their best self. 
Um, and they're, they feel safe. They know what to expect, how to expect it. Um, you know, and even so, you know, I talk about, and, you know, yes, it's out on a campus out there. Um, but I will tell you, too, um, there are some advantages to that, too. You know, for instance, if you have um, a person who is really dysregulated by noise and, um, you know, having a next-door neighbor, you know, having some of these residential homes that are in the midst of the integrated within your standard um, neighborhoods can be overwhelming because you have traffic, you have neighbors down the street that are playing, um, who have children that are playing in their backyard or playing in the streets, you have dog barking. Um, there's lots of things when you live in a standard neighborhood that that for a person who has autism, that's not necessarily a good fit for them because that is overwhelming. Um, you know, the neighbors barbecuing down the street, creating all sorts of smells that, you know, are offensive to a person who has a lot of sensitivities is not going to be what's the best fit for that particular individual, which is where um, having organizations, you know, having, you know, access to um, places like Lakeland, Lakeland, where it is more of a campus, where, you know, they have houses, but it's on a nice campus where it's controlled and, and scheduled and, you know, there are limitations to, you know, you're not going to have a next-door neighbor with five or six kids and, you know, three dogs in the backyard. Um, and so I feel like, you know, it's worth saying, too, is that, you know, for people to be very critical and, you know, go on a campaign to stop all institutionalized yeah. living, I think is very, is a bad idea mm -hmm. um, because there are, are needs, um, unique needs. It's a spectrum. There, Everybody has different needs and mm -hmm. we're crazy to think that we can wipe away all of those mm -hmm. living opportunities and we're not going to be negatively impacting some individuals. Well, so one of the things I would say is that one of the other autism dads that I've become aware of, uh, he works. Oh, yes. So mm -hmm. you know, and he's one of the most empathetic, intelligent, kind people I've ever met. Yes, he is. And you know what? I trust his opinion. He has, he, he lives the autism world. He's got a boy yes. that has autism. So I will tell you right now that I think the, the media perceptions are essentially like uh, one flew of the cuckoo's nest. I mean, people don't understand what institutional living mm. looks like or maybe what it used to look like. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I think now there's an option um, where it could be a situation where it is Everything is improving with time, and that's what we, what people aren't understanding is, is that institutionalized living back in the you know 30s, 40s, 50s, mm -hmm. 60s, it has it's an evolution, um, and while be it some of those um, institutional sorts of you know. Um, situations have improved and you know they were you know barbaric back in those days they have come a long way there are standards there are policies um there are practices and i will also say too in those institutional um sorts of um places um they oftentimes have way more training than some of the caregivers that are at these you know like um you know residential homes that are like you know integrated within your standard neighborhoods um so you know there is more of a um standard when you're talking about an organization like Lakeland in terms of training um, and supervision um, that is actually much, much different when you're talking about some of these um, different structure, um, structured living environments. If their kid hits middle school, they should be in contact with, with um, um, DD, with the DDA. county, mm -hmm. yeah, DD8, with, the, with DVR, mm -hmm. and um, discussing the, the transition, and even if they are going to be at home, I think it's important that um, 
these people are just have the knowledge yes. and the understanding of the supports for their children yeah. and for them because yeah. you know parents need support too. Absolutely. The one thing I will say, um, and this is not to be a fear monger at all, so please understand that. But one thing I will say is, is that, you know, like through my work through the Isaac Foundation, um, we are understanding kind of some of the long term, like the, you know, how some of this plays out over a period of time. And we are just now kind of seeing the first wave of, um, of, individuals who have lived at home with their parent for the span of their entire life. And now their parents have aged to the point where they are no longer able to meet the need for that, um, that family member. And, or in some instances, and this is, this is, I'm not making this up even a little bit, um, where we have situations where the parents have you know, unexpectedly passed away and um, there weren't better plans to figure out how to help this individual live independently. And, you know, maybe there, um, there are no siblings or other family members that can take mm-hmm. on that level of responsibility for a variety of different reasons. And so what's happening now is we have situations where um, we have individuals with autism and other disabilities that are now facing homelessness. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about Social Security and what that dollar amount is, it's $750. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if the parent was also of social security age, then, you know, they can draw off a little bit more, you know, because of that, but it's certainly not enough, um, to be able to live, um, to cover the cost of life. Um, and so the problem now that we're having is, is that, you know, Isaac foundation is being called to the table to discuss homelessness with individuals with disabilities Mm -hmm. and they are at these homeless shelters and they're being victimized because, um, you know, again, people that are working in the homeless, Mm -hmm. um, these, you know, house of charities, different agencies are not trained to be able to understand, um, and be able to screen for a disability, Mm -hmm. let alone then how do we protect them Mm -hmm. when they're in our agency, um, in, you know, these different programs for homelessness to be able to meet that need. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, again, we were just on that front wave of now seeing how this whole concept of, you know, the idea of being able to keep your loved one at home for the span of your life. Here's the other reality is that, you know, people with disabilities didn't have as long of a lifespan um, mm-hmm. once ago because, right. you know, of different health issues that oftentimes mm-hmm. would, you know, mean that they would succumb at a younger age. Well, now they're living life um, normal lifespans of, mm-hmm. you know, 60, 70, 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be thinking about what this is going to look like, um, you know, like moving forward. And so I guess what, you know, to what you're saying is, you know, when your child is in middle school, we should be having conversations about, you know, what, you know, their independence um, once they age out mm-hmm. of high school, whether that be at 18 or 21, mm-hmm. um, and also tailoring their education to mm-hmm. be able to support and maybe, you know, like have those Absolutely. independent living skills. But if you do choose to keep your loved one at home for the span of your life, you still have to have a plan because again, Absolutely. we cannot live together, you know, forever. As much as I want to live forever, um, I can't. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, we have to be thinking ahead mm-hmm. and certainly getting them transitioned so that they are living independently at whatever level that looks like for them with supports in place, we have to do that sooner than later. Um, And wouldn't you rather like to be an active part in Mm -hmm. 
transitioning them into independency mm-hmm. um, with supports um, or just having your um, your hand forced because you're not in a position to physically um, be able to be present to make those decisions and help screen and make sure that we can put that into place. But again, I hate to be that fear-mongering person, but I tell you what, Rachel, I'm see- we're seeing yes. it more and more and it's terrifying and it really has changed, you know, that, you know, that mindset of like, when is a good time to start making that transition into some, you know, like independence with supports in place, um, you know, and, and it's, yeah, it's terrifying. I, there is a statistic now that's telling us that 85% of individuals, 85% of individuals, um, do not, 85% of individuals on the autism spectrum. So this is the whole spectrum, whether it's Mm -hmm. Asperger's or high functioning autism or ASD level one, whichever, whatever, you know, however your child was diagnosed and classified, 85% of the total population are not able to live independently and have to live with a parent or caregiver um, for the span of their life because they require supports, like what you're talking about. They require some supports, whether it's just someone to come Mm -hmm. in and check on them, make sure that the refrigerator is full and that their bills are paid and the garbage got taken out Mm -hmm. on Monday. You know, they still are having supports in place to help Mm -hmm. them live independent lives, um, but they might need some, you know, assistance with organization and planning. Um, But 85% of them are not living independently, um, largely because it's expensive to live independently. Mm -hmm. And if they can't maintain a a job or a level of employment that's going to, um, you know, generate enough revenue to Mm -hmm. be able to live independently, um, we have to be looking at what this is going to look like. And so, again, just getting parents to understand the sooner you start, you know, again, we don't love having to have mm-hmm. these conversations. Yes. I certainly don't love, you know, having to think about these things. But um, it's planning earlier is junior high, like mm-hmm. what you're saying. Look at right. this in junior high. Don't wait yes. until, you know, they're transitioning out of high school. You can start putting transition plans in place, um, you know, even at 12 years old, 13 right. years old. And, and again, I mean, like John said earlier, you have to ask the right questions. Yep. and. And so, you know, finding a navigator, I mean, it helps a lot. And where would you recommend families finding navigators to help them so they know what to ask? Well, I I mean, I would start with DDA, possibly. And um, just because, um, I, I mean, in our community, I think they're probably one of the, the best ones to be able to navigate their own system, and then they can help you with others as well. So, like right now, if you if when your child turns um, thirteen, you can go to DDA and you can say, "Hey, I you know want to look at long term planning," and you can they will send someone to the school when they turn fifteen by age fifteen to um, do a book plan for them, and that is all about the independence and. And working towards it's like like you said how how do they afford to to rent a place I mean when a one bedroom is like eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars yeah yeah and so and that's they, without power you know, right so <laughs> in order to do that they're going to need a part time job at least to sustain mm-hmm. themselves and and I mean do they have the ability to budget money is this something that that the the services they've gotten in school do they yeah. get that independent living piece at school yeah they should yeah. 
but sometimes you have to advocate for it. Yes, and the biggest challenge that we've had is knowing what to ask for. Again, a lot of times these social service agencies are not, they don't just say, here are all the things. Oh, hey, welcome. Here are all the things that you absolutely need. Mm -hmm. Here, let's put this in place for you. You specifically have to know what you're asking for in order for them to say, oh, yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. They do qualify, and that's unfortunate and certainly um, could stand to improve. And so that's where I feel like parents like you are really a huge asset too you know as a navigator finding a parent Mm -hmm. who's a little farther down the road um, that can educate you in terms of the things to ask like when you go to this agency here's Mm -hmm. the key words here's this key things Mm -hmm. that you need to be asking for Um, and so I love having parents like you where you can you're a little farther down the road and then of course too you yourself have personal insight into um, kind of the big picture in terms of independent living Um, so um, knowing, you know, getting coached along the way mm-hmm. definitely helps. Right, and, and just knowing, just knowing and believing in your, your children because you really do have to um, truly see greatness in them, yeah. which, you know, I think most parents do, but they're so afraid that other people won't see the greatness. Yes. And if you just believe in that with all of your heart and your mind that you're child is great they're going to be independent they're going to be successful if you have this picture and you keep creating it in your mind um, that that's just what is going to be true if you have the right supports and and if they're on board too I mean you have to start those conversations early my son and I we always talk about so what is it going to be like um, because the book plan I have I've written a book plan for him to be the next reptile man here in the northwest so um, I, you know, this is the step you need to, we are teaching you Photoshop first because you need to be able to run this, this website and, and, um, here's your first reptile and, yeah. and I mean, in stages. And so then he's not overwhelmed with, with something that he's not going to be successful for. Yeah. So just like when, when kids are moving out of the house, you need to make sure they know how to do the laundry. You need to make sure you, they know how to shut the refrigerator door, that they, you know, that they know how to change a toilet paper roll. Yeah. I mean, just the basic things. You start early and and you work on that. And um, I can tell you my son at 16 is already very self-sufficient. He's more self-sufficient than I am some days. <laughs> and, I mean, he the first thing he does when he comes home from school, looks in the dishwasher, sees if he needs to unload it, picks up garbage. He goes into his room for a few minutes, then he cleans it up, make, makes sure his bed's perfect, then he'll go and check on the animals. I mean, he, you know, is in this routine, in this pattern. He, the typical child, it those things are very difficult for them. Yeah. No, and, I will tell you, you you're absolutely right. And they fight you and fight you, but once you put the typical autistic child... And when you put them into a schedule, they will not veer from that. Yeah. So it's so possible, and and it just you know just that confidence mm-hmm. that that builds in that child is beautiful. Yeah. It's it's like when they get their first paycheck. Yeah. It is like, you know, I am somebody. I'm amazing. Yeah. And I I can do this, and you have to believe in them so they can believe in themselves. Well, and that's very true. They're not going to believe in themselves unless you believe in them, too. So, that is very funny, though. You mentioned the fact that, uh, so 
Cooper of my kids is probably the best uh, about the things you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. He comes home, he takes his shoes off, puts them in the same spot all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and he he takes his dishes, he'll rinse them off and, you know, put them in the dishwasher. And I can't, you know, teenagers, you can't get them to do anything twice right. in a row without telling them mm -hmm. 10 times first. So I think that, that in that regard, it's almost easier with them. Yes. Absolutely. So they like point. routine. Right? Yeah, they, they do. Can use the routine to your advantage. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that is successful independent living. I mean, if you think about it, if I, you know, come home from work and I'm like tired, it's like, I don't care if there's sinks and dishes in the sink. I'm not going to care about that. But not Gabriel. Gabriel's like, hey, mom, you going to take care of those dishes? Because he wants to load them, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're putting me back, yeah. you know. Sure. You're not doing your part of the deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's there, the pieces are that really um, independence is is just how the United States, uh, we as American, we, Americans, we are all about independence. I mean, if you went to a different country, they're all about you know, family, generations of families living together, but that's just not what we do here. And um, that isn't our social, emotional makeup, culturally. We just, we don't, that isn't how we function. And to help our children be a part of the world, we need to, to help them with the independence piece. Yeah, for sure. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.